Hi, welcome to Notes from the Road. I'm your host, Evan Peary. I've spent more than a decade on tour with acts like Pentatonix, Dan and Shay, and Andy Minio. And I've slept everywhere from tour buses and floors to one-star hotel rooms and 15-passenger vans. My goal with this podcast is to provide a window into the side of touring life you don't see on Instagram or MTV. The behind-the-scenes, nitty-gritty tales of comedy, chaos, and camaraderie. Every episode, I'll be speaking with a different touring professional I've met along the way, giving them the opportunity to tell their story of how they got started, where they're headed, and everything else in between. This episode, I'm joined by Katherine Powell, a photographer and creative who's worked for Dan and Shay, Casey Musgraves, and Marin Morris, to name a few. Catherine, a New Jersey native, found her creative passion at the age of 14, and by 17, had started her own magazine. Today, she's touring the world, helping musicians curate content for the masses. We talk about finding your place in a new group, the importance of long-term goals, and what it's like to shoot a surprise Dolly Parton moment. This is Notes from the Road with Catherine Powell. Welcome to Notes from the Road. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, Catherine and I met in the spring of this year. Um, I went out to hang out for a weekend with Dan and Shay, and she's out there shooting with those guys among several other artists these days. Um, and I feel like she's got such a cool aesthetic going and has, is now working for several Grammy Award-winning <laughs> artists. Um, and I felt like, aside from the dudes and Dan and Shay being like, you got to have Catherine on, I was like, I definitely do because she's a busy, busy, busy lady right now. <laughs> um, and I think what I'd love to hear is, how did we get here? You know, let's start with, let's, I always try to like jump all the way back to like, what was your interest in photography? And then is there schooling involved, et cetera? And then we'll get all the way to the fun stuff of like <laughs> Grammy Award cool. winners, Newport Folk Festival 2019, et cetera. Cool. Um, well, this is like very perfectly timed because tomorrow will be 11 years since I shot my first show. Okay. Um, so I, my dad collected cameras growing up. That was kind of always around um, in my house. He shot my like entire childhood on film and whatnot and then eventually digital but um I got super into like the emo punk world um on the east coast in middle school after my cousin sent me a Jimmy Eat World song and I was like this is what music sounds like because mm-hmm. at that point <clears throat> it was only like Radio Disney and like what I saw on TV or whatever what song was that uh work Okay. Yeah. So Futures era. And then from there, I like dived into their entire discography. And then Fall Out Boy and Panic were on the radio. And like Yellow Card, Simple Plan, Good Charlotte had kind of just had their moment. So was that 2005 ish? Yep. Exactly. Okay. 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, found like Blink 182. And then from there, like All Time Low and The Academy is and like all those bands that were like the Fueled by Rama, Fueled by Rama and Warp Tour era. Mm hmm. Um, and started going to shows in seventh grade. My first show was Fall Out Boy at PNC in Jersey. Um, and then just sort of hit the ground running going to like this local venue in town and then got a camera at the beginning of my freshman year of high school. So that was fall 2008. Um, five days later, brought it to School of Rock in New Jersey and was like, hey, I want to take photos. I'm 14 years old. And they were like, cool, we're not going to pay you, but like by all means. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then they would just put them on their MySpace page. Um, but that's how I started shooting. I would just go every week and bring my camera and sh- get into shows for free, but shoot and not get paid. And 
I mean, that that's kind of the vibe of that place in that general. Place, School of I, Rock is like welcoming to, oh, you're a teenager and you want to learn. Like, okay, yeah. we, most of these kids want to come and play an instrument or learn to sing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, but I want to do something else related to that. And what a welcoming environment to say like, okay, yeah, you, yeah this is another part of kind of rock and roll is this the person capturing it. Mm-hmm. So cool. And at that same time, like, I don't know if you know, Ryan Soroka, he's a booking agent, mm-hmm. but like he was a year older than me and was, you know, booking shows there. And like now is at UTA and like booking Hugh Jacks and has been doing it just as long. Um, but yeah, that space, like really just let kids kind of figure their shit out. Um, and so I built up a portfolio there and then like started a shitty blog, um, <laughs> <laughs> kept shooting just like anyone who would let me, on any night that my parents would like let me out of the house. Um, and then my junior year of high school, my friend and I started Naked Mag, which kind of set things on a faster course, I guess I would say. And now did you do that out of a need to find a way to, for as an outlet? You know, because uh, yeah. you're, you're a teenager in high school and... And no one would hire me. Sure. Um, so And same with my friend who I started with. Her name's Ariella and she wanted to be a writer and no one would hire her to like interview bands. Um, and we were like, well, we can just do our own thing. Why not? We're 17 and 19 respectively. Right. Um, and did. And I think we thought it would like be a stepping stone um, into something bigger, which it has been, but I didn't expect it to be like an eight year stepping stone. But you did it for yourselves. Like there, yeah. there, how many other teenagers you either give up or you move on. Yeah. And so you guys did it for yourself and mm-hmm. it still exists from what I can see. So it's We've a got testament. one more coming out. But still, you, yeah. I mean, to go that long and I feel like you guys have had some very famous affluent people want to be a part of it or that you've been able to have as, as a part of it. So um, it's on my notes over here. I'd love <laughs> to talk about that more because you've taken that from high school through now in a professional career. Yeah. You know, shooting folks and... Um, what, what did, let's go here. What do you think you learned the most from that, from trying it yourself to continuing to have, have it exist and then taking that into this touring effort and then being around, um, kind of touring musicians and very famous people, you know? So what did that look like? How did you guys approach people at first? So being teenagers, how did you even get people to agree to sit down for <laughs> interviews, et cetera? Um, we like, cause I'd had, you know, this shitty blog that like we would get, you know, press passes to warp tour and stuff like that. So I had a little bit of experience and a decent amount of connections with music publicists and managers. Um, and then growing up right outside New York city, it just made it so accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we basically just sent out a bunch of like cold emails at the beginning and we're like, we're starting this thing. We didn't say our ages anywhere in it. Um, and we're just like, we need people for our first issue. And our, a lot of our first issue was like our friends at the time. And then it just started building. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was kind of insane how quickly it felt like it picked up. Like in retrospect, I'm like, it seemed to move at a pretty normal pace. But like when you're 17 and like you're also filling out your college applications, Mm -hmm. you're like, what is going on? Um, But it was a really crazy just thing to like that we thought we could do and then made work. Um, But I think like the most important thing I've learned from it is just like how to stand up for myself um, and like advocate for what I'm doing. Um, Because when you're 
the face, not the face, but like the name of a brand and like your name is on the cover of every issue. Like anything that that brand does is in a reflection of you. And so I take that now even working with other artists, like, you know, with Dan and Shay, it's like their visual brand is now a representation of me. And sure. I, you know, want to have as much of a foot in it as, as they do. And right. same with, you know, all the other artists I work with. Right. You don't want somebody else putting up a picture that maybe you weren't super happy with and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't want you to post something that isn't Right, on super brand. flattering so or whatever doesn't work. I yeah. mean, I, ultimately, I I have this over here as, as a thought, but yeah, what are, we can jump into that. So in terms of uh, making, like, what have you learned in terms of getting comfortable with a client, making a client feel comfortable, letting them, or rather them letting you into the fold and like, what have you learned that helps, you know, if you could offer advice to people who are interested in shooting bands or, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like everyone, every big artist these days, and we covered it a little bit with, I talked to Thomas Falcone and it's like, everybody has a, a, a media person. Now. Everybody mm-hmm. has someone doing social media, but then also doing content. And what do you feel has helped you get in the fold of that team's group? Um, well, I think even like speaking in a larger sense, like this new, very recent, like past few years where content became the most important thing has just been instrumental to my career. Cause when I started, it was like, yeah, everyone wanted photos, but no one really had anywhere to put them. Sure. And then Instagram came out and everyone was like, oh, well we want photos, but now we can do them ourselves because we have all these filters and the content that like artists were putting on their Instagram page in like 2011 was garbage. Well, right. And experimental mm-hmm. at that point, because no one knew what that medium was really, going to be. Yeah. And Twitter was still just not, and still isn't really just like a place for that type of media. Right, it's a place for words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something happened, I would say probably around like 2014, 15, where all these larger artists started thinking like, oh, well, we can control our brand if we have someone doing it. Um, and then that trickled down to kind of smaller artists. Um, and I think like getting integrated, because I work with so many different touring crews, like I've learned that the best thing I can do the first like weekend or two weekends out is to just sort of step back and like be a fly on the wall and just see how things run and capture what I feel like is important. And then from there, start integrating myself more into the space. And so, but at that point, I think people are more used to me being there. They don't see the camera as much. Right. Like the first weekend you're out with someone, all they're noticing is the fact that you have a big camera with you. Right. But I also think that's a hugely amazing piece of advice because there are some folks in your field that I notice, you know, whether I'm like, I just worked a festival this weekend where you're like, you're on the stage, you're standing in the middle of the stage. You're, Mm -hmm. you're, and I guess in this content era, and if you're at a big festival where there's camera ops, like they're shooting around the person getting Mm -hmm. the other content. But I think being in the background and then being able to move yourself closer and closer to the artist, to the team, to whatever is such a great piece of advice because coming from the other side of it, I'd be like, who is this person? Why are they, why, what are they doing? Yeah. Versus if you're introducing yourself to everyone, saying hello, and then also disappearing and be like, wait, but where did Catherine just go? But then you like see that you're like, oh, she got some great photos, but I didn't even see her there. And that's, that's the goal. Yeah, that's, I would hope that's the goal of any, yeah. any great photographer on tour so because at the end of the day it's not about me at all like me being hired to shoot photos for anyone is about them at the end of the day 
Um, and like this whole weird influencer culture that I think exists now that like a, I see a lot of young photographers trying to capitalize on that part of the business mm-hmm. as opposed to like building up their clients and building a good reputation and whatever. It's like, I'd rather have the good reputation and work with the clients I am than have like a little bit more Instagram engagement because I did like some bullshit ad for something and whatever. I, I think that it, it, what, what's it more about your art or, you um, know, but I'm saying to, in yeah. general, what's it more about, is it about continuing your art that's going to get you somewhere further down the road anyway, or about getting paid today? Yeah. And I think it seems like you're more about where can your art take you? I think I've always point. thought very long-term, especially cause I started shooting so young that when I started at 14, logically I knew like I'm not going to be able to tour for at least four years because no one's going to take anyone under 18. Sure. So in my mind, I was like, I have four years to kind of get to a place where someone wants to take me on tour. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, well, it's not going to happen right away because now I need to let people know I'm interested. And then it was like two years past that. And then it wasn't until like the last two years that I was like, oh, I'm making a living doing this and only this. And that's great. But I never thought that that would happen immediately and I've always kind of figured that it would work out if I kept doing it so persistency yeah it's a thing (laughs) it really is uh I would say the same right before we started recording I was saying to Catherine I saw it's currently September when we're recording (laughs) this um and my dear friends and longtime colleagues four years strong just celebrated 12 years of their first record and that was my that was my first foray into this and it's crazy that it's 12 years ago and uh without those dudes trusting me and being willing to give me a shot and me staying in the background for a second and looking around and and going what is happening around me and what can I take in and I've always tried my best to take everybody's good qualities in terms of tour managers I saw plenty that I did not like their style and I tried to not emulate that I tried to emulate all the little little things that I saw that worked well and that other, their artists responded to. And, um, I don't know, it's kind of crazy just to like, same thing though. You go, all right, I'm two years in, I'm not making a lot of money, but what's the long-term goal? Mm -hmm. And, um, I sort of said to myself at 25, like, I'd like to be working for an A-list artist, maybe doing arena tours and, you know, more years go by and you're trying your hardest and, at 30 something is when I made it there now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm grateful and I, I have a stability in a job and work for a, a bigger artist and have worked for artists now that, you know, like Dan and Che also that have become huge. And I'm just so happy to see you, you, then you're like a champion of it. Then you're mm-hmm. like, I just want to see this succeed. Yeah, totally. You know, like all my, the people that I've met along the way and become friends with, like, but back to, um, the, the long game, you know, it's like, it's a long game. I'm happy mm-hmm. to be here in Nashville now. And I know you just got here too. Yeah. A couple months ago. Do you feel like that was a, a, a really big stepping stone in terms of there's more at your fingertips here now as well in terms of work and relationships and. Kind of, I think like, had I not been working for Casey for a minute when like the opportunity to leave New York came up, I'm not sure I would have taken it. The coming to Nashville has been a goal for a few years, but I thought it was a lot farther out Um, because my experience prior to Case really was pop artists. And most of those are based out of L.A., Mm -hmm. maybe New York. Right. Um, And so there wasn't really a logical reason for me to be here yet. 
Um, and I kind of came to the decision like around Christmas last year, my lease is ending in June. I'm going to move in June. That gives me six months. And if by March I decide maybe that's not the right move, then I can re-sign my lease and, you know, we'll try again next year. Sure. Um, and then right around a week before I was, I had to let my building know that I was definitely moving out. I got the Dan and Shay gig. And I was like, well, that's a sign, if anything, that maybe I'm making the right decision. Because right. uh, being here, I just always feel like, especially for country, it's it's pretty critical mm-hmm. in terms of just work and workflow. Yeah. Um, and you don't see that until you're here. And you mm-hmm. realize, wow, there's there's so many, oh, we could just be leaving on a Wednesday now. And flying yep. is hard and expensive. And, and I just, was getting on a lot of 5 a.m. flights mm-hmm. in the spring <laughs> that so I don't easier. have to do anymore. Right. Um, take me back, though, real quick to starting the mag. And then what was the progression into meeting a touring artist and then being able to get on the road and then learning that life and experience? Um, so kind of simultaneously, I guess, to the magazine um, and college um, I, one of the first artists I ever shot was Action Item in New Jersey. Okay. Now, no longer a thing, but they were like one of those big local bands mm-hmm. in North Jersey. Um, and I'd known those guys for a while, got super close with them. We were really good friends. And then they were going on tour, I guess it was the summer after my sophomore year of college. Um, and I had just gone through a breakup and was talking to Anthony about it and was just like, I just need to like get out of here. I need to do something. He was like, just come on the road. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like let's do that. (laughs) They were paying me literally like 200 bucks a week. Like it was nothing, but I was so stoked because it was my first like real tour and we were opening for MKTO um, and like House of Blues size venues and it felt like something was working. Um, And then I guess like a year after that or so, Maybe a year and a half. Um, I had known Max Schneider, who just goes by Max as an artist uh, for years, and had mentioned to him I was interested in touring if he ever needed someone. And I, at this point, was about to finish my second to last semester of college. Um, And he was like, well, we're doing this East Coast weekend, like holiday radio shows, like come out as like a test drive, basically. Um, and I did that. And then after that weekend, he was like, we're doing this big theater tour with this band R5 next year. Like you should come. Um, and so I did that. And then we spent a year together just like playing every shitty college or radio festival, or Mm -hmm. we did a full tour in like kids basements. And I just like learned the road life better than I think I ever could have. And now was that before he had a had success with one huge single, right? He's had a huge, at least one huge um, single. Yeah, it was right before Lights. Like I was, um, we were on tour, that tour that I was on, the first night he ever played Lights Down Low. Got it. Um, and then like- we, It was just a build up to that. Yeah, like the album was about to come out and then we thought this other song, Basement Party, was going to be like the single- Hence why we did a full tour in kids' basements. Yeah. Ah. And then we got back and the label was like, actually, we're thinking this. And we're like, but we just spent all this time and money doing this. Yeah. And was it were you doing content based yeah, around we were basements? Yeah, we were gonna cetera, put out a too. like 20-minute mini doc thing. And then they were like, How about like a four-minute music video? And I was like, All right. I mean, we just, you know, spent a whole summer, but it's fine. Sure. And now we're are at that point, are you shooting video as well? A just, bit, yeah. Okay. Um it's wasn't and still isn't my forte, but mm-hmm. like it was kind of a necessary skill to learn at that point in time. Um, 
but yeah, then we did that. And then, um, he kind of like took a break of sorts. Um, and so I wasn't really doing anything for a while and then, um, was going to London to visit my friend, um, who was just like living there at the time. Timed it around the C2C festival that they do out there, Mm -hmm. the country festival. Sure. Um, had done a little bit of like one-off gigs with Walker Hayes and Levi Hummin, who are both playing. Love Walker. Yeah. Um, he was like the first, him and Levi were really like the first people in this town to take chances on me. Um, but they were both playing this festival and I was like, so let's say I was going to be in London mm-hmm. while you're there. Would you hire me? And both their teams were like, yeah, of course. Like we'll hire you as a local hire. And so I was like, dope. I can now write off the flight to my vacation and spent like five days in London and then did this three-day festival and while I was on the flight there, I get an email from Casey's manager who I'd never met before being like, heard you're going to be there. We're looking for a photographer. Are you around Saturday night? And Casey's like one of my favorite artists of all time. And I was like, done, ready. Like, let me know what time you need me. Um, and then that night just went really well and kind of changed the entire trajectory of my career. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then what is, what does that look like from there? So as and and I guess what I'd love you to talk about too is sort of technique, approach, et cetera, in terms of most artists these days have an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Casey has a big aesthetic. Mm-hmm. We know that. And anybody that's besides their social media, go if you go to a Casey Musgrave show, there's a big aesthetic. Yeah. How did you try to fit yourself into that? So they said, Oh, we'd love you to shoot some photos at C to C. What did, where do you go like mentally in terms of like what do I need to get out of this? I mm-hmm. have, you know, that's what I wanted to ask you about too. So a few things we can work in and out <laughs> of them. Um, obviously techniques, because I know you do some portrait stuff as well mm-hmm. you, you, with the magazine and then in life. Where do you go in terms of all right? For a portrait shoot or a shoot for a magazine or a shoot for where you're in control of everything and you have, in theory, as much time as you want, what's your thought process there? And then, all right, I have a 40-minute set to get mm-hmm. what I need to get. And what do you, what's the goal there? Um, I think speaking specifically to that night with Casey, like everything was kind of um, aligned to work in my favor at that point. Okay. Um, just because for like a year at that point, I'd been like dicking around with prisms and like putting glass in front of the camera and mm-hmm. kind of getting these like, you know, kaleidoscope, dreamy effects. Um, and unbeknownst to me, she wrote this whole record on acid, basically. And like the only songs that were out when I shot that show were Butterflies and Space Cowboy. So I just kind of assumed I was like, well, here's hoping that they hired me because they saw my work. And that's what they're looking for. Right. So I just kind of capitalized on that, like the kind of weird effects and stuff. And it just turned out that that was exactly what they had already kind of had in mind for her album aesthetic moving forward. Um, and that was about three weeks before Golden Hour came out. Um, and it just worked. Cool. Um, but yeah, I think like I don't necessarily do those things with Dan and Shay because it's just a different vibe. Like right. my vibe going into that first weekend with them was – okay, this is the biggest headlining tour they've ever done. These are huge rooms. It's only getting bigger from here. They're like, they just had two massive singles. Um, how do we make them larger than life? And so the approach was a fisheye for the most part. Right, like, to get as much in a frame as possible. Yeah, make them look like they're giants on stage. Make mm-hmm. it look like there's millions of people in there, even though there were only thousands, which is still obviously a lot. But like, 
Right. Yeah. Just kind of building it to a level where you couldn't ignore that something was happening with this group. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and then in terms of just uh, thinking about your your timeline of like a, a controlled shoot versus a, like being on tour and, and, and being being able to get candidates, what, what's your, what are you always looking at when you walk into a room, if the artist is in there or you're walking the stage or you're on stage or you're in the pit, like what's your, what are you trying to accomplish in those moments? You know, cause obviously time mm-hmm. you have, again, 90 minutes in the case of a Dan and Shay headline mm-hmm. set, like how do you, do you actually have in your head, like where you think you'd want to be in terms of shooting for the, the show? To an extent, and I think one of the benefits of, you know, touring with an artist and seeing the show every night is you get to understand it a lot better. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, with Dan and Shay, like, the first night, Dan and I sat down and we went over the set list and he told me when things were happening and, you know, whatnot. And I kind of went into that with sort of an idea of where I thought I wanted to be. And then that completely changed by the end of that tour. Um, But I think, like... The, the more I get to know an artist, the more I can kind of figure out what they want to express, mm-hmm. like from their show or from, you know, who they are backstage and whatnot. And my job is to kind of put my own touch on like who they already are. Um, and like I think about like with Casey, it's like a big thing with her right now is like her style and her makeup and her glam. And so her like photos of her getting ready or like we do, you know, little pose shoots backstage if it's a cool environment or things like that. Like that carries a lot more weight than a live shot of her right now. Whereas like with Dan and Shay, like it's still we're still kind of capitalizing on that larger than life thing. And mm-hmm. so a photo of them on stage does more for them than like a photo of Dan tuning his guitar backstage. Right. And I I feel like capturing kind of the the down to earth home body feel of both of those artists in this mm-hmm. case, but like having worked and been around Dan and Shay, I know that they're just very appreciative of having somebody d- being able to document their day to day life. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that's always been something really important to Dan just to relate to the fans. Cause they, I, I feel like out of all the artists I've worked with, he really is working every day to try to, the marketing manager of Dan and Shay is Dan Smyers. It is. It really is. Like I, anybody that's listening to this that thinks that he's just posting that for the internet. Nope. He is like no. It's he him. like if I were to capture Dan's full day mm-hmm. on tour, it would be me waking up at seven and sitting in the bus with him, drinking until, coffee. Yeah, drinking a lot of coffee, a lot of green shakes mm-hmm. that he makes himself, mm-hmm. um, eating a lot of tofu, um, <laughs> from like seven a.m. to like. 5 p.m. Like he's just on his laptop or on his phone making graphics, calling radio promoters, like texting people on their team, making plans, editing photos. Like it's I've never worked with an artist that's so involved to such a technical level. Um, And it's really cool because we just did last week. We just did a brand new content shoot for like this new era for them um, for the single that's coming out October 4th. And just being able to like bounce ideas off each other and then sit on the bus together and like work on these photos and figure out exactly what we both want to say with this has been like instrumental into like making these photos look so dope. <laughs> and and for somebody like uh like a Dan where he does have a lot of input and the fact that he's 
willing to sit there with you and give it directly to you, not through a secondary person or Mm -hmm. hearing it from management, does that help you focus your art then too? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, um, and it just makes me feel a lot more comfortable giving my ideas out. Sure. Like when we were doing this content shoot, it was like the first time that I'd been in a studio with them, you know, doing something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, it's nice that they trust me enough for me to be like, Hey, what if like we put this mirror on the floor and you sat on this weird bench and like, had they not worked with me before, had we not kind of talked about what we wanted to get across with the shoot, mm-hmm. any other artist could have been like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> but Dan and Shay then jump in and are like, what if I'm sitting next to a plant? And like, what if there's this weird shaped guitar like next to me? And then that was the result. And it's this super weird photo that just never would have happened had we all not just been able to communicate so strongly and had to translate those ideas like through a label person or through management. Right. Cause you know, you tell management that you want to like warp their faces with a mirror and then like put a weird plant next to Shay. Like, you know, the label's going to be like, I don't know if that's what we're looking for. Right, right, right. <laughs> but the, the having now been working for them for almost a year, the trust factor being yeah. up, up and above. And mm-hmm. they, you know, them, you giving them a glimpse of like, this is what we've been doing now for months. Mm-hmm. They go, we're just going to listen to Catherine and see what she. And, she yeah. thinks, you and know. when they were planning the shoot, like Dan really fought for me to be the one to do it because we have that trust factor already, and they're comfortable with me and my camera. And you know, I think it takes a while for any human being to un- like get comfortable being in front of a lens of right. any kind. And if it's your friend and it's someone who you know you spend half your days with, it just makes it so much easier, and you get such better work. Sure. I think. Okay. So to jump from that, in terms of now. I guess, is the magazine coming to an end? Yeah, our last issue comes out October 1st. Um, It's our 100th issue. It felt like the right place to kind of put a stamp on it. Um, Great number. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Um, In terms of that, though, how have you, you know, so like you just described, you've you've garnered this relationship over, is it a year? How long? Almost a year? I've known them. I met Dan and Shay the day that their first album came out. Okay, so it's been years then. Yeah, and saw each other pretty like sparingly. And then Dan and I reconnected last summer when he came to one of Casey's shows. Cool, but so, but it's been years, let's call it years. Mm -hmm. And then how do you, so how do you translate that into like you're, you're shooting somebody just for the day? Mm -hmm. You know, like how do you, what's your, your methodology in terms of making them comfortable if you do offer some different suggestions for the shoot? Um, I, one of my like go-tos is I don't like to give too much direction to people I don't know. Um, because I think that's how you get really uncomfortable photos. Right. Um, so if I'm going in and doing a shoot with like, I think a good example is I did a shoot with Derek Huff, uh, the dancer, Mm -hmm. um, for naked and we went in and he in general is like a pretty personable guy very easy to talk to. Right. Um, but I just kind of went in and was like, so here's what I know about you from like, you know, research. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Um, and my idea was like, I want to get movement. I want to show you like doing what you do and whatnot. Um, and he kind of aligned with most of those things, but then was like, but here's also what I want. I also want to like have like something that looks very, you know, traditional and fashion and just like a still whatever. And I was like, cool, okay, so now that we know what we both want, we can go in and, like, get that, hopefully. Sure. And I think communication is kind of the best thing, and it's, I think, really easy for photographers to not communicate because I think a lot of people have a very specific vision and don't necessarily 
like factor in the person they're shooting into that vision Mm -hmm. or on the flip side of it is like a lot of us are pretty introverted people because like this is just the nature of the job um, and don't know how to communicate what we want or need from something. But I mean, and I think that's good advice in any aspect in life, but it especially translates to to this job. Yeah. Collaboration versus one person has, has, the firm grasp on everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. If you're collaborating, you're getting a lot. You're getting what you want versus mm-hmm. what you thought you wanted. Maybe. Yeah. Totally. Um, uh, let's just jump into real quick too. How how did you end up somewhere like uh, Comic Con, like San Diego Comic Con, and was that just for fun, or were you invited? And what was your you know, I saw you were there this year. I know you have a you're wearing a Marvel shirt today. <laughs> I'm with always all the wearing a Marvel shirt. I have an Avengers tattoo. Like yes. it is my shit. Um, but I I started going with the magazine three years ago. Basically, like we I have some nerd friends. We just applied for passes. They accepted it, and then like in theory, like I went for work on paper. I went for work. I did work for the magazine, mm-hmm. but like I mostly go to be a fan at like something like that. Like that was. Is was kind of like the event every year that I was like, this is like, this feels like my escape, kind of. Because sure. like music for so long was my escape, and that's why I got into it. Um, and then when it becomes your job, it's harder to like listen to something to remove yourself from the world. Because now I'm thinking of is like, damn, this is a really cool band. I really want to shoot them or like something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to disconnect. But like with superheroes, there's just no, you can't just like do that. You know, it, it feels so unobtainable that like, that's kind of now my escape thing. Uh, okay. Well, I have on my notes here real quick, favorite MCU character then. Oh, Loki. Okay. Yeah. Loki in general, t- thoughts on Tom Hiddleston as Loki? I have so many thoughts on Tom Hiddleston <laughs> as a specimen. Um, the word perfect comes to mind, oh. but... <laughs> Um, no, I really love that character because um, even in the comics, and I think Tom plays him very true to the comics, that he's kind of this very like morally confused character. And he's a villain because of like the things that happened to him hardened him and made him one. But there's so much, especially like I look at like Thor Ragnarok, like mm-hmm. you see that buried deep down there is so much light within that darkness. And... I think that's something that like I've really gravitated towards. Um, just that idea that like every everything can seem horrible about a person or a thing or a situation, but like if you really dig down deep in it, like there's probably either a reason or like something much brighter inside of them. Sure. Um, which is very cheesy, but <laughs> but no, but and, and and I think you like you just said, I especially Ragnarok, you can see like he cares about his his brother, mm-hmm. you know. He's made a lot of terrible decisions for But also a lot of terrible things have happened to him. Sure, sure. Um, And then I feel like, what else did I have on here? Um, Favorite, like, Avenger character in Endgame? Because we lose Loki well before that. Well, we kind of do. Sure, we don't know. He's back. Um, well, okay, we have the, there's a show to look forward to. Yes. Have you have you purchased Disney Plus yet? Oh, I bought it. I bought a three year subscription the day they put it on sale. Same. I am ready Same. to go. Um, I think, like in general, Thor is my favorite Avenger. Okay. Um, but I really loved Widow in Endgame, 
because I think for the first time we really got to see this like very capable woman finally being in control when like, you know, Steve was kind of like the captain of the Avengers, but then like Tony was also sort of the captain of the Avengers and it was the two of them and they just couldn't stop fighting and get it together. Mm -hmm. But then you have Natasha who's fucking killing aliens with a gun and like, and never gave up like on all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just, I thought her arc through that movie was really incredible and rewarding and like heartbreaking. It also seemed like Scarlett felt that way too. She was very happy to have yeah. the ending that she had, even though she didn't make it. That that was more important than being there to see the end of the movie. So yeah, yeah. it was cool. I I don't think we'll see that big of a mega event of heroes again for a while. I, I think it's going to take like at least another decade. Uh, in terms of all that, what are you obviously the Loki show mm-hmm. is what else has Marvel said that they're gonna do? What they're doing you, a lot. I mean, they're doing She Hulk, which I think is gonna be a really cool way to kind of give Mark Ruffalo an exit because his story was kind of the only one that didn't have any sort of um Right, he never got a standalone because they had already done a Hulk. Well they're and they're film. not allowed to make a standalone of him. Oh. Yeah. Is it was that part of his deal because like the post Edward Norton? Something like scenario? that with like the properties or I don't understand mm-hmm. the legality of it all. But um I think like at the end of Endgame, it's like Tony and Natasha are dead. Steve's an old man. Yeah. Um we know that we already knew that there was gonna be a Hawkeye series. Okay. Um Thor, you know, his it was presumed he was kind of joining the Guardians. But Hulk was kind of just there. And I think like the She-Hulk series gives him um, an exit because traditionally in the comics, like Hulk trains She-Hulk and then kind of lives a life in the shadows. Um, I'm super excited for the Miss Marvel series because she's one of my favorite comic characters. Yeah, that all, the, those announcements all sounded cool. And those yeah. are later down yeah, the line. Yeah, they haven't right? put dates out for okay. that. I'm beyond excited to see Jane Foster as Thor because that's my favorite Thor comic series and I think they've done Jane Foster so dirty in the movie so far. And Natalie Portman agreed to come back, mm-hmm. right? Because she was not happy at some point. And she probably like shouldn't something. have been because they kind of made Jane this like shitty character. Like there was nothing really likable about her redeeming where in the comics like she's so strong and so smart and you don't really see a lot of that in the movies because even in the first movie where she's like figuring everything out and like putting all the pieces together, it's still more focused on like then she becomes Thor's girlfriend. Right. Where I'm very excited to see her, like, wield the hammer. Sick. Um, here's, now I'm going to go into rapid fire. Oh, God. Question zone. This is the one that we we pretty much do every time now, just to see. I like the, the fact that so far everybody's answers for these things are different, because one is just a general question of, like, touring, and then one is more self-focused. But, um... Number one touring essential, and in your case, no phone, camera, computer, or not. Right, nothing I need to do my job. Right, and and for everybody so far, that's the same rules because we all carry those things, so those don't count. But so mm-hmm. it can be personal or it can be for work, but like what is, what's a thing you need in your arsenal on a, day, a touring day to like survive, whether it be like emotionally personal <laughs> to get through the day, a, a piece of equipment, et cetera? Um, three things, I think. One, earplugs. Because I love the gentlemen on my bus, but they can be loud. Sure. Um, and our speaker system in the front lounge works very well, I've mm-hmm, learned. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, I bring some sort of like protein vegan like shake thing because getting vegetarian meals on tour cannot are always you, be the easiest. Are you vegetarian? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I know that that's definitely, I feel like most tours these days, especially if you working for Dance Myers, you're fortunate that he's yeah. very specific and, and has is leading this plant-based life. So I'm sure it's a little bit easier in that case. I can kind of piggyback off him when catering sure. sucks. I can be like, well, if Dan's getting Chipotle, can but, Catherine also get Chipotle? But, but, I, but I know in, in, in especially in country, it's, there's been some funny scenarios over the years where you get somewhere and they're like, vegan? And you're like, mm-hmm, yep, it's a thing. In America, yep, in all over the world, yep. People that don't eat meat, I know yeah. you guys eat a lot of meat, and, and so okay, so some kind of protein yeah. or treat, Just, that- yeah, so like a full meal in a bottle, basically. Got it. Um, and then something to read that's not on a screen, like either a stack of comics or a book, just to kind of like either after the show or like in the middle of the afternoon, just like have a way to disconnect because. I think like obviously on tour, especially like, you know, this summer we've been opening for Florida Georgia line and it's, there's like 200 people on that tour and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of people to interact with every day and it gets really exhausting to then have that on top of like trying to maintain relationships at home through my phone or my computer. And so to just commit an hour every day to like have all that away is nice. Uh, What right now, what are you reading in terms Um, of comics or books? Um, books, I'm reading, uh, a book of essays called I Miss You When I Blink. Um, and then comics, I get my like weekly stuff delivered every week. So it's all just like whatever's out that week. Um, there's like a Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel team up series out right now. Um, they just finished the War of the Realms series where like Thor becomes king finally, um, and then there's a series where Jane Foster becomes Valkyrie and now there's a new Loki series out. There's a lot of stuff happening in the comic world that keeps me very busy. Are you primarily a Marvel fan? Yeah, I don't discriminate against DC, but I think in, and that's DC was kind of my intro to like the nerd life, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm like the writing in Marvel comics a lot more and like screen wise, They've completely sure. outdone anything that DC's yeah, done. Yeah, it's been an interesting thing to see in terms of, obviously the earliest superhero depictions on the screen were that world. So mm-hmm. Superman and then Batman had these big kind of, you know, meteoric rises in in that mm-hmm. medium. And then it just seems like Marvel yeah. found something with Iron Man in 2008 and has... Well surpassed them. And when, yeah, and then like DC's attempts to emulate, you know, what the Avengers have done on screen with Justice League was just such trash. What did you think of Aquaman? I didn't see it because I wasn't terribly interested in his character by the end of Justice League enough to like go spend, you know, the $18 it costs to see a movie plus snacks. Sure. What about Wonder Woman? I did love Wonder Woman. Um, I'm kind of skeptical about the second one already. Fair. Yeah. What I mean, obviously, she's lived such a long life that you can tell a story in any era for Wonder Woman. Totally. And drop her in somewhere. And, like, you know, obviously, I don't know if everybody knew it was going to be a World War II based film at first. Yeah. Until it, you know, the, the plot was released. But I mean, I felt like it was a cool place to drop her into Agreed. the world. And I'm, I'm interested to see what 1984 does for her and why Chris Pine is still around. Is that the next? 
It's called Wonder Woman 1984. Interesting. And I'm like, I don't know what happened in 1984. Maybe that's just my American history not hmm. coming, you know, to my mind at the moment. But <laughs> uh, And then I guess for you, this isn't a normal question, but what are you shooting with right now? So for anybody out there that's a gear person or aspiring photographer mm-hmm. that's looking to kind of get a better picture into what you're actually using, what are you using? Um, I'm on the 5D Mark III Canon. Um or Mark IV, sorry, um, and been using a lot of like the Sigma art lenses, um, and then like I have a Canon fisheye. Um, I most, with the exception of the fisheye, I pretty much only shoot with prime lenses because I think it gives a bit better depth to it um, than zoom lenses. It doesn't distort everything as much, mm-hmm. um, and then have a bunch of fun filters that either go directly on my lens or that I'm holding in front of the lens at any given time. And so now you were talking about earlier using crystals or some type of prism. Mm-hmm. That's you hand holding that in yeah, front of the Yeah, I don't do that in post at all. I don't do much in post except like fixing like levels, color, um, lighting, but I'm not like adding effects in post typically. Cool. I don't have time. <laughs> Um, and then, so what are, what are you, what, what's the rest of your, I guess, 2019 into 2020 looking like at this point? Um, I, we have one more weekend, I guess by the time this comes out, our, we will have wrapped the Florida Georgia line tour. Um, and then I'm mostly out, I have a little bit with Casey, but mostly out with Maren Morris and Miranda Lambert for the rest of the year. Okay. Um, and then we have some really cool stuff with Dan and Sh- oh, I guess this will be announced by then. Uh, so Dan Cher going on an arena tour next year. Um, so that is going to be the majority of my time and then kind of working now to fill in the gaps of when I won't be with them. Cool. I mean, that'll be huge. That'll yeah. be another wide lens. That'll definitely it's gonna be, be the- cool. Like we we're leaving on Tuesday to go shoot this music video with Justin Bieber for the new single. And I'm just I might be dead by the time this podcast comes out because, yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Real quick, because I, I forgot to jump there. Speaking of Marin and High Women, mm. um, tell me a little bit about Newport Folk this year. I know other. we have another podcast guest who will maybe discuss this a little bit, but Michael Bethencourt works for Jason Isbell and mm-hmm. was also doing some stuff with High Women. So I got to hear a little bit about that. And the super special guest of Miss Dolly Parton showing up there. Yeah. Um, what? How? How was that? Because that was like, that's not one artist. You're now trying to capture several people's lives in a week. You know, the span of a yeah. weekend. And how crazy was it? And how you know insane was it to just see Dolly pop out? Um, everything about that weekend was just amazing. Um, and it was kind of last minute, like. The first High High Woman song had come out, I think, like, a week before. um, And I texted Marin and just, like, said congrats, like, love the song, whatever. Um, And she was like, are you going to be at Newport Folk? And I was like, as of now, no. And she was like, do you want to come to Newport Folk? And I was like, yeah, I could be down, like, whatever. And she was like, on the DL, Dolly Parton is the special guest. And, like, I really want you to be there. And I was like, down. Like, I'm, you sold me. Like, even if she wasn't coming, I would have been down, but like, you really sold me with Dolly. Um, and so the first day of the festival was the High Woman Day. And just to like see so many women come together and like do this thing and then have so many people at this festival, like trying to cram themselves into this tent because they were on a side stage, mm-hmm. like to see them. Um, it was just like a really special day overall. 
and kind of, I think, gave everyone a lot of confidence going into the next day where Brandy Carlisle was hosting um, the first ever female-only jam night at Newport Folk in, like, it's a million years of inception. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's one of the oldest festivals. Yeah. It was what I just watched. The other, the other night I just watched uh, the PBS documentary about Woodstock and that they, they used Newport as sort mm-hmm. of, they sort of think that, like, it was around before Woodstock. I think it technically is the longest-running festival in the country. I believe it at um, this point. But, yeah, you just feel, like, that history there, and there's just such... Uh, an appreciation for music and songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we're all hanging out backstage in like the compound, um, artist compound, and three black SUVs pull up. Um, there's only people in one of them. And out walks um, two very large men, one carrying a black umbrella, holding it over a woman, cover, like dressed completely in black lace with a veil over her face. And then goes into a trailer. It was Dolly. Like, and so basically I learned that if anyone found out that she was performing, um, she didn't have to. Like she, it was it had wow. to be a surprise. Okay. Um, and so everyone was very tight-lipped about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then when it just like was pulled off and you know, like it just worked, it was the reaction to her walking out was like one of right, the most... Because nobody was expecting it. No, nobody, no one. Like, from what I understood. Yeah. Zero people expecting it that was, was going to happen. It was the most incredible, genuine ex- like fan reaction I've seen from a crowd in a while. Because like, you know, we live in this age where like set lists are online and like everything's filmed and, you know, you go into any arena show or anything and you know what you're getting. Mostly, yeah. You know yeah. the basics. If, um, you know, if it's, especially if it's a pop artist, that show's set in stone. For yeah, things part. like that. And even with, you know, big country acts these days, like anything with a tremendous amount of production is down to the second sure. at this point. Well, and, that, and I, I always, I've been trying to reiterate on here and it's like, it's not because you're, they don't want to play other songs, but it, it's people's safety. There's a lot of things that have gone into a show at that scale. Like, that, like there's been specific content built for each of these mm-hmm. songs and you know specific moments when the fire get, goes off right. and like things and like so it's, that it's hard for a, a bigger artist to kind of really change a lot of elements in a show once mm-hmm. it's set yeah so. um but yeah it was it was truly like the coolest thing and i was the only photographer allowed on stage to shoot for whatever reason i don't know how i maneuvered myself into that scenario but it was like one of those bucket list like just incredible and was that moments. just like rapid as much as you could get just so you had oh, yeah. everything covered. Yeah. I like, cause she came out and did four or five songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't stop shooting like throughout the rest. Of, cause that was like, obviously the finale, mm-hmm. um, the rest of like the super jam, I was like making sure I got photos of everyone kind of walking around maneuvering myself. But like when she was out, I was just like hitting the shutter as fast as it would let me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you? So we've been talking about this, but I always, you know, for, it was cool for Thomas to just be like, I want there to be a visual component of this. So where can people come to find you now in terms of Instagram website, et cetera, or anywhere else you want to plug at this moment? (laughs) Um, Instagram is just at Catherine Powell. And then my website is catherinepowellphoto.com. So super simple, Catherine with a C. And then by this point, the hundredth It'll be out and done. will be out. So check out Naked Mag. Spell that for everybody though, uh, so they can find it. It's nkdmag.com. Cool. Um, and same tag on all of our socials. But yeah, that 
comes out, but it, when this comes out, we'll have came out on October 1st. Yeah, so go check that out, uh, the 100th and final issue. Yeah. Um, and check out all of Catherine's rad shots. She's, by the again, by the, by the time this comes out, you'll be able to see the final weekend of Dan and Shay uh, on tour with Florida Georgia Line. I'm sure Casey, does Casey have anything? Yeah, we're doing... I have some so- shows with her in the middle of October, and then her last show of the Golden Hour, Golden Hour era, is the Bridgestone in Nashville at the end of October. So that, but I mean, granted, that could be up right now too. So if you're <laughs> if if that's passed at this point, go check that out because I'm sure Catherine will have posted and Casey will have posted some really amazing stuff. Is that two nights or is that one? No, night? we're doing one night in the round. That's crazy. Yeah. So check that out, uh, Catherine. Thanks so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks this for having so cool. me. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Big thank you to Catherine for sitting down and talking with me. For any of you out there looking to pursue something in the creative world, I hope she's your proof that persistency wins. Um, You can be a 14-year-old person and just staying persistent and pursuing your passion, you can make it work for a career and staying focused. I think that was what Catherine really showcased in this episode is staying focused, staying true to what you believe in, finding your own um, creative outlet and or aesthetic, and then working with that and around that. And when people see your kind of vision, they can get behind you and champion you. And I think she's shown that in her work and in her resume at this point. So again, shout out to Catherine. Um, Don't forget to follow us at Notes from the Road Pod on Instagram. Um, And check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you normally will find podcasts. We'll see you next time. Notes from the Road is produced and engineered by Isaac Burkhart, along with production and design by Andrew Cook. Thanks. See you next time.